Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 589. At Midnight's going to New York next week. Just in time for the huge medical scare. What's going on over there? Be fun? I'm not not worried or a hypochondriac or anything, so I'm sure we'll be real, real fine. Walking around in hazmat suits everywhere. Uh, but it's going to be an amazing week of shows on At Midnight. Uh, Jeff Ross, Artie Lang, Jim Gaffigan, Michael Ian Black, Hannibal Burris, uh, Jim Norton, Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazers are going to pop on. Uh, Colbert's going to pop on. So it's going to be a good, good, good week of shows. Comedy Central At Midnight on At Midnight. How long do you think I'm going to have to say that? I probably don't have to do that anymore. Um, this episode is Mr. Bob Odenkirk, uh, second appearance on the podcast. Uh, Bob is promoting his new book, A Load of Hooey, available now. He also talks some Better Call Saul in this. I don't know if there's a lot of Breaking Bad spoilers in here, but I'm sh- but I think we did kind of graze Breaking Bad a bit. Uh, also, Odenkirk's on tour. He's doing book signings and he's doing comedy around the country. And we're going to put a link to those dates uh, in the description of this podcast on Nerdist.com. But uh, a dear old friend and a delightful man, Mr. Bob Odenkirk, number 589, The Nerdist Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. How's life, Chris? That's good. How would you feel what if I told you? What do you do we... when there's no mic in front of you? Do you can you, you breathe? You mean when? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> when does that happen? It disappears, Bob. <laughs> it just goes away. <laughs> I just I carry it around like this, you know, like, like it's just not plugged in. Just like one of those yeah. harmonica Sometimes. neck things. Yeah. I just like it's just all the time. So like yeah. a little kid in his bedroom with the talk show. Alive, yeah. It's a Mr. Microphone. Yeah. That I can. Well, I just walk by people's radios. So you know you're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me feel. It's the only way I can feel. And then, what will it say on your tombstone? Unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a little microphone right in front of it. And then, uh, and then I'll never die. That's my. Or it says still talking. Still, t- <laughs> still talking dead. It'll say talking dead. Yeah, Hank. <laughs> hey, come on. Is that the biggest thing you've done? Because it's kind of huge, right? Talking yeah. Dead. 
Yeah. It's kind of like... There's no question. Just massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, numbers-wise, yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no question. I mean, a- MTV, nothing ever came close Which to Which of the that. zombies on Walking Dead is going to get his own spinoff? Uh, Corey. Yeah? <laughs> is that a real zombie? No, yeah, yeah. There must be a zombie named Corey. He is Corey. pretty cute, though. As far as zombies go, pretty cute. <laughs> pretty adorable. Pretty Corey. My, uh, my longstanding theory about uh, The Walking Dead is that if you think about Breaking Bad, as, a, as it's basically all one story. Right. That, uh, the, and you look at the timelines and it actually works out. It works out, too. That uh, Breaking Bad starts like 2007, and mm-hmm. basically the timeline is 2007 to 09. Mm-hmm. I think that's right around the time when Walking Dead starts. I think Walt dies. Someone tries to re-engineer the blue meth, and it creates this zombie, zombie thing. Oh, and that, because the universes were connected, because the prop guys gave Merle in episode in episode 201, he opens a satchel and he's got some crushed blue meth. In it, right. They found blue oh. meth in his bag, so they connected the, the two shows. And their ancestors wow. are the guys from Turn. No! And uh, no. Small Town Security. And then Low Security. Winter Sun just got canceled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so that's my theory. It's the I like that universe, theory. right? Yeah. Isn't everything's connected? I it's like all... that crossover. What is it? The comic books have a crossover? It's all the crossover. Issue. It's a mashup. It's a crossover I like that. Mashup. I got a question for you. When you watch Walking Dead, do mm-hmm. you take notes? I, I do not take notes. I you, really you, don't. You seriously don't. No, I just watch it and then I go do the show. It's 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 a it's a ridiculously easy job. Do people catch you though? Or like, yeah, that's not what happened, man. Do you forget or do you have no, to? No, I mean it's it's you, you know, naturally think about things. Like well, the prompter will tell him anything he needs to know. I right? watch the fuck you, Jonah. <laughs> um, wait, I got to take that again. Fuck yourself, Jonah. I wasn't reading the prompter behind yes, your head. I, I just watch and then I there's like a handful of moments that I go, oh, that's interesting or that might connect to this or this, I'm curious about this and then... So oh. you have a real conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah, no. Totally. You know, no one does that. You know, you're the only one. It's kind of true, right? It is. We've both done talk shows and so much of it is planned out and scripted. Not that. so much with the new, like, like Fallon doesn't, Ferguson doesn't. Yeah, it's amazing. Fallon doesn't yeah. really. They don't. He's amazing. But the old, the older, the like the older guys. Yep. I think it's, it's like the, Letterman, Conan. It's I've like never done Letterman. Every single thing you're going to say in the order you're going to say it. Mm-hmm. That makes that would make me way more nervous than. If they said, "Oh, you're just going to go out there and shoot the shit," I'd be like, "Great, uh, absolutely." But when they it's give you like more lines to learn, to way like, more so in the pre-interview you said this. Could you say this this way? Yeah. And then he's going to say this, yep. and then you're going to yep. say this. Like, oh, then we're doing a scene. We're just doing a scene now. Yep. Yeah. That, that doesn't make me comfortable. When David Cross and I first did Conan, we actually wrote it as a sketch. <laughs> Conan comes out, audience applauds. And then they got the script because they were like, what are you going to say? No, what are you going to say? No, but exactly what are you going to say? And we were like, oh, fuck you. So we (laughs) wrote this thing out. You know, Conan laughs. Conan, you know, resumes hosting, you know. And they're like, fuck you, not funny. And we were like, well, you wanted it exactly. That was a long time ago because now now, he's actually loosened up a lot. It's super loose. Conan's loosened up a lot, which, you know, why not? He's great. He's a great talk show host and a funny guy. I do understand. I guess I do understand it. It, it. It seems ridiculous, I think, to us. It's not necessary. But, but it is to so have, not necessary. There's no be so sympathetic. But but <laughs> but to have actors on 
which if you don't know yeah. that they're gonna be able to like just know, riff their way through something yeah. i know but come on yeah you can do it you talk to anybody and you get them talking i right? do i like talking to people though yeah well I, that's i'm, I'm well, annoying that way I, uh, I i i just feel like i think that the weird thing is this a real talk show host like you chris <laughs> thank you bob one of the big challenges, you have to be able to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And not every, a lot of people can't do that. Even if they're funny people or clever, it's like there's people they don't give a shit about. Like I, there's, there's so many – I have never watched The Walking Dead. I'm sure it's great. But I just don't watch that much TV. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the things that you're able to – maintain an interest in people (laughs) (laughs) i do like people though and so i think it's i think what probably happens if you've done a talk show for like 25 years night after night is the skill shifts into probably how do i feign interest in this when i've done this night after night for 25 years and then when can i get home you know like that's a whole different skill set as opposed to I'm still in the, I can't believe I'm working regularly, and yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, but that's good. That's just because it's natural to you. I think Jimmy Fallon's the same way. He genuinely seems to want to talk to everybody. To and, yeah. 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 Would you it's ever host great... something? No. No. Not no. Thing. Big mistake. <laughs> Even thinking about it. <laughs> Did we just make a mistake talking about it? Even yeah, thinking about it? we just fucked up. Oh my we God, just manifested it. it. There's you another reality that now that has Bob hosting a show. All of that out. I just had the birthday boys on. Yeah, thank and you. They're, they're great fucking guys. Great. They're awesome. I've great always guys. loved the birthday I'm boys. Glad you yeah. do. I think they're doing a great show. I think the show this year is more distinctive than it was last year. It's more them. It's hard to do sketch on television. Yeah, you know, they don't have a hook. There's seven white guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and apparently it, it is very them. hard to make a mark. You know, Amy Schumer is hilarious and has a hook. Yeah. Key and Peel, hilarious, great performers and mm-hmm. writers, and they have a hook. They have a raisin, de, how do you say it? Detre? Raison d'etre. Raison d'etre. The birthday boys just want to be funny. Yeah. And they're smart and they're good writers and they're they're really likable guys, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. But they need a fire marshal bill. <laughs> <laughs> I think that because of the popularity of sketch, period. It's so popular right now. And and because of their excellence, their quality and their that if people give them have the chance to get to know them, they'll they'll gravitate towards it as just really entertaining. Just really silly and fun and entertaining and well constructed. What was yeah. what was the Mr. Show hook besides you guys just being funny? There wasn't a hook and it didn't do well. <laughs> How about the fact that it didn't do well? But I always think of it as it did very well. It was well. hip. The, did it not? I no, it, it did terribly. I didn't know that. It's horribly. I always think of that as like, you know, kids in the hall, Mr. Show. No, no, no. No? Didn't do well at all. I had no idea. No, no, no. I mean, I don't know how we stayed on for four seasons. That's amazing. I mean, it was just, there was no audience for it. None. <laughs> I, wonder- I think that it didn't cost much. Uh, Troy Miller did an amazing job of producing that show and making it look as good as he made it. Yeah. Um, Without him, that show would not be anything like what it was, and uh, and so you know it, it just. The, but we never got the audience. Never. 
Did it? But it, maybe after the show, there there must have been. I mean, like the DVDs? audience definitely has. You know, what's you know, it's twenty times what it was because of DVDs and and because of YouTube and and because of word of mouth. Mm. But it's uh, no, it just wasn't. It didn't do well. I think we might have done well if we'd stayed on a fifth season, but we were also demoralized. We just couldn't do it. You know, one of the sketches in my book, A Load of Hooey, mm-hmm. yeah, I which is in bookstores right now, what sitting them? there waiting for you to fucking buy it. There's still bookstores? <laughs> this is fantastic There are two news. bookstores. aggressive sale. There are two bookstores. Uh, one of these sketches was written. It was the last thing I wrote for Mr. Show, Happy Ending, which Scott C. Uh, drew. Oh, oh Scott, Scott C., the Scott best. Campbell. Yeah, I, I, Scott Campbell did a drawings of it because it really is a sketch, and uh, that was written for Mister Show. But everything else is pretty much from the last like four or five years, and it was stuff I wrote in between writing TV pilots and movies that no one made. Uh, and I just <laughs> would write a comedy sketch and just or a comedy bits, and s- sometimes I'd send them into the New Yorker, but oftentimes I wouldn't because honestly, uh, a lot of the pieces are. Too crude for the New Yorker. So is it sort of like uh, the Cruel Shoes? I guess it's kind of got similarities to Cruel Shoes and uh, and like without feathers and side effects. The Woody it's Allen like a collection books. of just a collection of little sketchy things. Yeah, it's it's pretty kitchen sinky. Yeah, and um, so if you like Mister Show and the other stuff I've done in comedy, then you're going to love this. And if you only know me from Breaking Bad. Maybe you want to tread lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that actor from that show I love put out a book. What, does he think he's funny or something? Why is he insulting religion? (laughs) (laughs) Coming from such a wholesome show like Breaking Bad, you'd figure. What what an amazing uh, ride that show became. I mean, it, it was... You know, talk about letting a show breathe. Giving it a fifth season... Yeah, like you know, that show went from Breaking Bad, yeah, like crazy, a million right? or two million tops the first oh, season uh, to I, you know maybe better than I, but I thought it was going to get I, the wor- words I've heard, the story I've heard is that that thing was going to get canceled after the first season and after the second season. Hmm. Like it never had a big enough audience, but they just kept it on. They they think they saw the quality of it. I mean that happens, you know. Seinfeld, the network execs seem to think. I think it's good. No one's watching it, but come on. I think it's yeah. good. Yeah. And um, Warren Littlefield in that case. But in AMC, um, you know, I think probably just I, – I kind of believe those guys that they, they said this is good stuff. Let's just keep making it. Yeah. And, um, and then for streaming viewing to come along and for it to build and grow as much as it did, that was crazy as you point out. I mean it's crazy how it – you know, um, quantitatively exploded. I've never seen, I mean, this happens on Walking Dead, but with, and I've seen it happen with Game of Thrones, but Breaking Bad, the most I've ever seen, where all you had to do when the show was still on, if it was the day after the show aired, is go, uh, hey, Breaking Bad was, and people were like, don't, I don't want to know, don't tell me, I gotta watch it, don't yeah. tell me, don't, please don't tell me, please don't spoil it. Yeah. Because it was so, like, those little gifts. That uh, gifts, not gifts, that uh, that Vince would plant. Yeah, where you just could never predict how it was going to shake out. 
But yeah. then it was always the most perfect way. Like, I never would have predicted that, but that's the only way that could have worked out. Yeah, and, and then when perfect. you talk to Vince, and I think you probably have, yeah. and you find out, and I believe him, that he didn't really know where things were going. <laughs> yeah. And that some of those gifts were just puzzles, just puzzles that he had to sort out. And then that it that he sorted them out, and he, and he came to such rewarding uh you know, conclusions and journeys is amazing. Yeah. I mean, he worked his ass off. I also love that he is always so quick to give credit to the writers he worked with and yeah. everyone on the show. He was always like, every day, I love this moment. He's like, well, that was done by, and they like, you know, name the writer. He'll so immediately I, name Yeah, I think person. that's such a, such a cool thing. Yeah, classy, but I think, you know, he knows what he did. And so there's no, you know, yeah. there's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the whole the whole party's his. The man is Doesn't a, matter if the, the corner food stuff. item is better. Yeah, so you know, yeah, he's great, and he's done an amazing job on this show, Better Call Saul, which we just finished two days ago. You finished it? Oh shit! Yeah, we finished the first season. How did it feel? Uh, amazing, and uh, I can't really, uh, besides for legally not being able to tell you what happened, uh, <laughs> the threat of prison. Um, I'm just. My head's spinning because um, I was in almost every moment of it. So I don't even know what happened. We were doing a little like DVD uh, review of the episodes, you know, like an extra for the yeah. DVD. And I couldn't remember. They were like, in this episode, when you did this? And I was like, when did I do that? <laughs> what was that again? Tell me again. And then I would just sit and think for 30 seconds and go, okay. Okay, I'm remembering. <laughs> all right, okay, okay, and then you'll like, get to watch the show like a viewer. Like you won't, you, it'll just all be honestly brand new to you. Seriously, it is just I, ran, I can't remember what happened. Well, I ran, I ran into Vince and uh, was I was asking him about it, and I, he didn't tell me anything specifically, but he just said, he said the show is turning out way more intense than I expected it to. That it almost, you know, it's not that I don't know if I don't was the plan to like sort of make it a little bit lighter or just yeah. like flip the genre a little it was, bit? It was a crazy, quick, and uh, mutation where initially there was talk, like very early on before any deals were being made, maybe it'd be a half-hour comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, like literally that far in the direction of comedy. And uh, and then it just, I think when they got down to writing and, and really building the show, it very quickly became drama. And then... In it's weird because there is a lot of comedy in it. There's comedy everywhere. There's hilarious scenarios and situations that they're just they're kind of ludicrously funny, but they're coming from Saul Goodman. Yeah. And yet, in the main, it is such intense drama. <laughs> it's like, I mean, forgetting the hours that it took to make, which would you know, which wiped me out, the intensity of the scenes was like, you know, kind of one after the other. It seemed sometimes one after the other, just super, super intense. People fighting for their, I wouldn't say their lives, but everything that they wanted was always, you know, being questioned and challenged. And and so these this character especially is just, really uh getting crushed 
just getting crushed by everybody and everything around him. I'm sure it's fun to be the main guy, but I'm sure it's also fun to be like, yeah, I don't have to carry the show. I just get oh to my come God. in. and yeah. Fargo was such a blast. Yeah, that was a great show. <laughs> I mean, I would pop up to Calgary, go eat a fucking great dinner, <laughs> <laughs> learn my four-page scene, show up the next day, have a chat with everybody, go shoot this really light, likable character. In the end, he was likable. Yeah. You know, try to nail it. And uh, walk away and go get another awesome dinner. (laughs) You know, and then this show was just, it was like being, you know, when you read about professional, you know, Tour de France people, it's like, I'm going to eat at this hour so that I have the energy to go through 11. And then I got to go to bed right away and get up at 430. And I got to do this and I got to eat this food at this time so my energy stays the same through the oh whole day. Shit. You know, it was like measuring food and sleep all week. Because, you know, as the week goes, you get into night shoots. So by Friday, you're shooting from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. And then Monday, you start at 5.30. And, like, how do you do that and still be healthy and, you know... You have a super intense scene on Tuesday, then another one on Wednesday night, and then another one Friday morning. And it's like, how do you measure this thing out? It was just constantly like doing that kind of math. Was it, and so are you, there's no way you could have anticipated that. You know what? No one did. And the first talks about it and talking about doing it before I went there, it was very much an ensemble thing. You know, it was like we were still referring to Breaking Bad as like the template for right. it. Because it's what everybody had done most recently. So um, I think everyone was surprised by how focused it was on that character. Vince and Peter. Vince and Peter, Peter Gould is the co-writer and creator of that show. And the other writers, uh, Tom Schnauz from Breaking Bad, um, Jenny Hutchison from Breaking Bad, um, Gordon Smith, who worked in the Breaking Bad room, uh, and uh, and Bradley Paul, um, who is a new writer to the to that milieu? Um, you know, none of them knew where it was going. Really, I mean, Vincent Peter, I believe them when they say we were finding it as we made it. So you'll see when you watch the show. It's gripping. It's intense. It's got qualities that Vincent Peter write in all their shows, and all they just do. They're focused and serious guys. They, but. It's it's like going off into this place where like where is it going? It's really incredible. <laughs> Did you? I mean, you you must have. Was it the kind of situation where you thought you understood this character coming off of Breaking no, Bad? No, I knew I knew that whatever we'd done in Breaking Bad, it's going to have to grow a lot more. There's no way you just do that guy. That public face of this guy who's changed his name to Saul Goodman and. Uh, put this, you know, set this office around himself to to be this, you know, to to be the symbol to a certain community. There's no way you just goof around with that and call it a show. I mean, I'm sure some people think you could, but I knew it was going to be all new layers, all new sides, and and that there'd be a lot of discovery. You know, we'll see what it is. We'll see. We don't really know. I mean, I haven't seen it cut together. I haven't seen a single bit of me in it. Oh, Not wow. a bit. Because as an actor, you know, 
I don't, I don't like thinking as a producer, as an actor. When I'm acting in a part that's that heavy, I just want to think about what am I doing next? Why? What does he care about? What do I bring to that? How do I play it? I don't want to be thinking about how does it look and how does it fit with this other thing. I just, it's literally the moment, the moment, just play the moment. And yeah, so I haven't seen any of it. And I also just didn't want to see it. I just didn't want to have a picture in my head of me doing the character. And it wasn't that hard to do what I just told you because I'm in everything. <laughs> so it wasn't hard for me to not go, what? Yet I have to tell them, rewind it. I want to see it. I'm not going to do that. We got stuff to do, work to do. I did watch two scenes that I'm not in. Um, and they look great. Uh, one had Jonathan Banks in it and then other people. Um, so that's all I've seen. I've not seen a bit of it. Did you ever, I mean... Just remember, I mean, I remember watching you on, do you remember the A-List? Uh-huh. And I remember watching you on the A-List. Do you ever watch A-List? Yeah, but uh, which bit was on it? I'm thinking. The bit that I remember was, um, uh, it had something to do, we might have mentioned this the first time you were on the podcast, but it had to do with uh, uh, talking about history, but not really having, it was almost oh, like was the, the Abe Lincoln piece? It was almost I like the B-minus Time show. Traveler kind it was of a, a one man show, uh, where oh, was that it? Well, B minus time travel, I know, was the Stiller show, but it, but this was it was this it was a similar premise where it's like you didn't really have any grasp fa- a grasp of, of history, thing. but you were you were talking about all these facts that were. Uh, I think it was Lincoln bit, which you can watch on YouTube. Where I, I'm a guy who's like I don't really know much about Lincoln, but I did a one man show, and and then it's just dumb made up stuff, or just you know he holds up a penny and goes, hmm, I've lost weight. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just stupid. Uh, or his secretary and and, uh, and oh Kennedy's yes. secretary had the same name, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes you think. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember the bit entirely, but yes, that's. I think that's the bit. So you know, it, it, starting as a stand-up and a writer, did you ever see yourself shifting into like? You know, to where, where people are perceiving you as like, no, he's a very. You know what I thought honestly when I and I was when I was doing Second City, the main stage with Chris Farley and Jill Talley, and and that was the first time I thought, you know, here I'm on stage with these really funny people, like Farley in particular, right? Like so funny, and I'm like, well, I'm not gonna ever compete with that energy on a comedy stage and that wonderfulness on a comedy stage, so. And it made me think, you know, I probably belong in dramas. <laughs> really, seriously. I remember standing on stage thinking, I belong in a drama. I'd be the funniest guy in a drama. <laughs> and I kind of have like a, like a com- complex energy of like, you know, what's this guy, what's his motive, mm-hmm. you know? And that works in a drama. That's great in a drama when you look at somebody and go, what, wait, what are they really after? There's more to him than what he's showing me. So, but I never pursued it. That's the thing is I thought, you know, I probably belong there, but I like writing sketch comedy and I love performing with David Cross and Chris Farley and these people who are visually are funny, you know, and have this just funny energy just right in front of you. You just watch them. And I never made the attempt to move into drama. I got lucky that Vince Gilligan in particular said, I think you can do this. And and Alexander Payne trusted me and a couple other people. Um, But I never pursued it. I mean, I auditioned for Payne's movies. He's always had me come in. Um, 
but I just never pursued it. Because I like writing. If you leave me a free to time, I'm going to go write sketch or a load of hooey, <laughs> which is my book. I'm it's talking about my book here. Bookstores now, I believe. In bookstores now, a but load of hooey. Did you Bob also just Oden. do a special too? No, I didn't. You recorded something at Meltdown. You know what though. I did, Chris? You know I've done stand up. I'm very familiar with this. Okay. Yeah. But I very irregularly. Yes. And that makes me. Not a pro. You know what I mean. Because you are a pro. I don't, I don't know. You know what I'm saying, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Like, real stand-ups, they do four sets a night. Mm-hmm. And I've done... I've had periods where I do four sets in a week, but it has been years since that. But I've got all this material. i got all these jokes that I like a lot that are fun to say. But a lot of them are getting a little old. And uh, my wife, for probably the last three years, has been saying, we just make a, r- a recording of it just so the kids one day can hear what you sounded like <laughs> doing stand-up. And I was like, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't think my material's up to par. I'll wait until I'm... You know, when I should have done it was when we did that Mr. Sh- Show tour last year, mm-hmm. me, David, and Brian. Yeah. And we did stand-up every night. I did 15 minutes. David did 15 minutes. I should have done it then because I, I kind of got up to speed, kind of. After, you know, 12 shows. But I didn't. So Better Call Saul was coming. I knew I was gone for five months. I looked at my material. I'm like, I cannot tell these jokes ever again. That is enough. These poor things have gotten their asses kicked. They are rusty and beaten and dried out and wrung out. And But I thought, you know what? They're fun to tell. So I called uh, Matt and the guys from... Uh, AST. Special thing. Yep. I said, if can you record me doing stand-up live a week from today? It was a Thursday. Next Thursday. And they go, yes, we can. And I go, if it's not, if it's horrible, we're not putting it out. They go, agreed? Agreed. Okay. And then can you get me the youngest stand-up comic who's good, who's fun to hear? And I want to do it with him, and we're going to call it Amateur Hour. Because I'm a fucking amateur. After 30 years, I'm a fucking amateur. Because that's what you are if you do stand-up seven times a year. Right. You're an amateur. (laughs) And so I am, after 30 years, an amateur. And uh, so we did it. We recorded it. Now, is it great? It is not great. (laughs) 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 Who said that? (laughs) You know... Uh, but there it is. There's some funny jokes in there, but here's the best thing about it. You guys, Brandon Wardell is the opening comic and he's great and he's got a great energy. He's fun to listen to fun to be with. So he does 10 minutes and I do 40 minutes and I'm like, that's 50 minutes. We, and that's not an hour. So I came up with this character. I heard this Hitchcock. Did you see the Stone Roses documentary, Made of Stone? No, but I love oh, the Stone it's Roses. so great. you got to see this. Okay. And uh, Shane, uh, oh, what's filmmaker, British filmmaker, uh, Shane Meadows directed it. You know Shane Meadows? No. This is England, a uh, film he made. You know nice. it? Yeah. 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 He's great. Great yeah. filmmaker. And he directed this Stone Roses documentary. And he's a real filmmaker. So he's like, it's got layers. It's like when Scorsese directs a music documentary. Mm-hmm. And it starts with this great Hitchcock quote. But Hitchcock speaking, talk like this very slowly. 
you know, creativity is something <laughs> that you dream of making happen. Sometimes you get lucky and it happens. Other times you have a mess. <laughs> and he just talked this laconic slow. And I said, I want to do that voice. So I, I did this 10-minute riff improv of this old British agent talking about comedy. <laughs> and so it's at the end of the album, and, and it's like an extra. And maybe it's the best thing on the <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, no woman will ever tell jokes in a way that is satisfactory. <laughs> And so a lady cannot be invited upon the stage. <laughs> and it's just his rules of comedy. And uh, and uh, so, anyways, that's part of it, too. So that's my big album called Amateur Hour that comes out in, like, three weeks and is for fans. But that's, that's kind of fun, though, <laughs> that you just sort of, like, made, like, a throwaway fun comedy project. You're like, yeah, you know, take it or leave it. It's something yeah, I made. it's the only way I could do it. Because, come on. You're not going to go you on the road. I, you are a stand-up. You toured. I do. You may not tour that much anymore, but you did. I'm about to do it. I just got off a little tour. I'm about to go on and another And you one. know the difference between show number one and show number 20. Of course. And it's a huge difference. Yes. And I've never gotten to show 20 <laughs> in my life. <laughs> but so, you, never... you, know, I, I, you know, come on. I, I've been around stand-up. I've been around... When I was in New York doing stand, uh, Saturday Night Live, I would do sets at the cellar. I would do the the improv. And, uh, you know, obviously David Cross is very serious about stand-up. And Louis C.K. would be around. I was around him and Ray Romano. These guys are the real deal. And I am not. And it's, you know, I don't know. What do you do with that information? Do you not record the album? I, I think if you have enough fans and you think it'll make people laugh... You you go ahead and record it and you call it amateur hour. Well, I think it's I think it can be whatever you want it to be. Like you know, like whatever stand up means to Louis doesn't have to be exactly the same way right. that you do it. Like right. you can you know like. Well, you know, I was never uh, primarily uh, driven by stand up. It was always sketch for me. Yeah, you know, which is hard because you need other people for that ultimately, right? I guess, yeah, it is. That's one of the challenges. But then you have other people. I mean, stand-up, the hard thing is you're alone up there. That's the best. It is kind of good, right? I Whenever actors go, how do you do stand-up? You're all alone up there. It's like, yeah, you get to go up there and dick around and get laughs. And you don't, ha- you don't have to rely on anything. You right. Just, you know? I, mean, you, I you- mean, it's easier to say from where you and I sit because we have a persona that the audience knows and they are willing to, you know, uh, give a, give us rope to hang ourselves. And, and we use that rope and enjoy it. Yeah. But when you're starting out, it is super challenging, right? Because you don't have a voice and you don't, and you're really trying to, you want to make people happy. I mean, I saw this interview with George Carlin. It helps if you don't give a shit. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I think no one gave a shit more than George Carlin. And that's why the world uh, pissed him off. Um, you know, but in some ways, respects, he didn't give a shit, you know, it was like, if you don't like me, you don't like me. And this is what I think. And, but it's hard to get to that place, you know? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard because 
there aren't really even Lenny Bruce, you know, in his book, and I don't know where it is. I think it's at near the end of that book he wrote. What's it called? Uh, How to lose friends and alienate by talking dirty or something. Yeah. Um, says, you know, I, I wanted people to like me. I tried to make the audience laugh. I wasn't trying to piss them off. I wasn't trying to ro- walk the room. You know how many stand-ups are proud of walking the room, right? Yeah. yeah, some people say that, but I kind of feel like... I mean, maybe they really mean that, but I always kind of see that as a cop-out, right? Because I think it's easier... I think it's easier to piss people off than it is to make them laugh. Because you just start saying things that right. are offensive... Or absurd. Or, or absurd, or... You, like, it's easy to lose people. Yeah. I think it's a cop-out. I, I think it's like a sort of hey fuck man I'm it's it's like a spoiled kid like well I'm just gonna do I'm just gonna be naughty so I get attention I'm like well yeah because it's a lot harder to write jokes and create an arc and and build a world and get people yeah. suck people in than it is to you know be like you're I know. all fucking stupid you know like that's 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 performance art I guess I don't know what that is but I don't think it's comedy no I know what you're saying I agree with that except I would also say that. There is a kind of thing with the balls to do that, the willingness to do that. Like, I always feel like when I'm on stage doing stand-up, when people don't like it, I'm like, oh, well, I'll leave. That's all right. <laughs> you, I don't need to do this for my ego. I'm doing it because I like telling jokes. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the stand-ups that we both know are people who are like, no, no, they're, you know, they they need that. And they... And so they've got this. They've got uh, this kind of intensity that's willing to go that to that length of uh, fighting with the uh, the crowd, fighting them. <laughs> you know, and I don't have that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously, I know that they're not every bit's going to land. I, I just think it's sort of a. I just think it's an interesting choice to try to do the. I'm going to chase people out of the room on purpose. Yeah, like, I know. Like, I do oh. think people tend to talk about it like I was already going south, and then I decided <laughs> to to you know destroy what was left. It's I not. Do, it's I you know except those. for Andy Kaufman, who clearly did things like read from The Great Gatsby, right, and just intentionally hoping that. You know, it, it, I'm going to keep doing this till everyone's gone. That's that's how long this bit lasts, right? And uh, and in some ways is the purpose of the bit, right? But that was really funny the way he did that because he acted insulted by the audience being uh, restless. Right? Did you ever see it? I never. He'd saw- read, and the minute they would la- make a noise or something, he'd <laughs> look at them like, "What? Hey, I'm reading. Come on." But then, he, and, but then he read the book. And then he keep reading. But look up. Like, come on. You know, like, and that, that was the funny part. The yeah. funny part was reacting like, you should all be quiet. Come on. I'm reading The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Well, but also, I mean, I think that's funny when you can tell the story and sort of tell the highlights of it. But to be there, it'd probably be like... What's happening? Like you know, like hour three. You know, in in again to, I I you know I I have a uh, I don't have a I'm not in love with absurdity. I I think it it can be leaned on easily, and you cannot be funny and just be weird. And yeah. I don't, you know, I think it's harder to be funny and better to be funny. Yeah. Um. But I like absurdity. I mean, Monty Python I thought could be absurd and funny Absolutely. at the same time. And so that's like the perfect mix to me. Um, 
Because absurdity is like an anarchic fuck you to structure and right. to, to the world. And that's wonderful. That's one thing comedy exists for, right? Um, but I think that, like, for instance, that Andy Kaufman thing is a great example of, like, when people tell the story or you read about it, he read The Great Gatsby until everyone left. It lacks the joke. The joke is that he acted insulted <laughs> when they left. He acted hurt. <laughs> That's the joke, and he was funny. You know, he did the joke. He didn't just be a prick. He was clearly supremely hilarious. Yes. That there was more than just, I'm going to be a weirdo. Yeah. It was, you know... These oh, my the- God. Did you ever see that talk show he did for public TV where he's... Oh, like on a- really high up. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, at a Johnny Carson desk that's, like, 12 feet in the air, <laughs> and the guest is down here sitting on a chair... <laughs> Oh, my God, that's funny. You just know how funny that is, you know? But now, I, but now I feel like that's so, you know, because he existed, it spawned a whole... Like, now that stuff is kind of commonplace, especially with, you know, with the internet of just, you know, like the absurdity factor. Yeah. And then it's... And then again, people copying the just weird for the sake of weird without the substance of, you know, there are actual nuggets and comedy yeah. structures I mean, in here that drive I, I the thing. I think Tim and Eric are the craziest, wonderful mix of super funny and super absurd. I don't know how they do it. I mean, there's, you've got special brains, those two guys. Yeah. I think they're like a great example of intense absurdity. That's really funny to me. Would you ever want to do a sketch show again? Like, be on a sketch show? Well, David and I are talking about doing a reunion show next year for <gasps> a Mr. Show what? reunion, like, maybe on HBO. Oh, We're trying shit. to make that happen. 20-year reunion. That'd but with amazing. new material, you know, sketches that we write. Um, for America? No, no, new stuff, you know. Um, so we're going to try to make that happen. Um, I love sketch comedy, I'm, but this chance I have to do drama is pretty wonderful. And oh, you have I'm to do this now! Hard. Like you can't not do this. Yeah, right? like this is this is a this is an amazing opportunity. Like this is a moment that you yeah. have. You ne- oh, you have to you have to do this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're it's right. it's too it's special. It's so rare in show business that someone gets to go a totally different direction and really gets trusted. I mean, I'm really been trusted by Vince and Peter. Uh, they're crazy <laughs> with that with a team with a with a great team like that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's and you and you kind of have the freedom to make it as you know yeah whatever you want it to be. I mean that's that's really special. Yeah. I mean you 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 can you can make sketches and t- you know till you're a hundred you know yeah yeah. But this opportunity is so is so important and so special and people are super psyched about it. Well, can we talk about my book for two seconds? Are you talking about A Load of Hooey, which is available in bookstores? Yeah. Do you like my picture? I do uh, like um, I do like your picture. with the, the Bob Odenkirk is uh, stuck under a cat holding someone's wine in a stinky old pipe. <laughs> it's a very traditional author's-looking picture. three about the author pictures. All right. Three that was, of them. That's one. That's there's one. one at the very end. Okay. And then there's one on the back cover. There's the and other. That one's the real one. That's the real one. Okay, that's, that's just you. Picture that's, of me. That's you now the back cover. The back cover. <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is you in a kind of a micro sort of a... Bob Odenkirk dug a 13-foot-long, 8.5-foot-deep trench in order to get to the vein of hooey encased in this volume. This is you actually digging out the hooey. Yeah. Uh, it was... Uh, in, yeah. Is this, this is in Griffith Park. This is Griffith Park. Yeah. And there's a lot of hooey under, running <laughs> underneath there. It's... it's uh, 
And it's on the McSweeney's uh, imprint. Nice. Yes, sir. Do you very... want to do a selected reading from the book? Let me read something from this book. Bob Odenkirk will now read a selection from a load uh, of who? Publishing information for me. That's <laughs> my favorite yeah. part. What of any year? Book. Yeah. I hear the year. It's a pretty good year. This is uh, one of my uh, famous quotations, unabridged. The first part is the true quotation, and the rest is the part that uh, they leave out. If you can dream it, you can do it. Not you. I mean me. I was talking to myself. Did you hear me just now? Forget I said that. <laughs> Walt Disney. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read uh, one more of those because they're fun to read. They're short. Uh, oh, this one's great. Famous quotations unabridged. Uh, again, the first part is the true quotation, and then the rest is the part that you've never heard before because they always cut it out. I don't know why. When asked by an associate, how long should a man's legs be, Abraham Lincoln thoughtfully responded, long enough to reach the ground. Then, after another think, he added, they have to make it up high enough to reach his torso as well. Basically, they must go from the base of the stomach to the shoes, and the feet should fill the shoes completely. Did I mention the knees? One for each leg should do the trick. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Frankly, I'm more interested in his ass. (laughs) <laughs> and at this, the great lawyer was cut off. <laughs> Very abridged, uh, as it turns out. <laughs> they cut a, they cut they a lot of that of out. Most of that quote. Yeah. They cut. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you don't it's even. Context of I part. think if you go to Lincoln oh, here's Memorial, one you, probably... you might recognize. Okay. Um, and the first part is the, tr- is the quote you've heard, mm-hmm. and the rest is the part they never include. It's the job that's never started as takes longest to finish. But that's nothing compared to writing a trilogy. That takes fucking forever. J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> he did say that. I believe he did he say did that. He did say the first part, yes. I believe he, he actually did yeah. say that. Yeah. That may have been one that he yeah. said. Here's one from... I'll read one more of those. And then... Oh, here's... Oh. Anyways. I'm going on tour. Did you know that? What? With this book, I'm going to do some shows where we'll act out pieces from it and also do some sketches that aren't in the book. It's fantastic. I'm going to go do Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, um, Three, Seattle. Four good comedy towns already. And New York. Five. And San Francisco. The six great towns. And then I'm going to do some bookstores as well. And I'm going to do Largo in L.A. You're going to do Largo? You're going to yeah, do- and we're going to have friends there too, like Jerry Minor and Brian Posehn are going to read from the book. Excellent. They read some funny stuff on the book on tape, um, the audiobook, book on tape, old man, Jesus <laughs> Christ, book on tape. Book on Victrola. <laughs> uh, book on 78. <laughs> Is it? Can I get that on wax? Yeah. Uh, hold on. I want to read one more of these. Uh, I, I've got my favorite one. I can't find it. You should go to Powell's in Portland, too, if you get a chance. I am doing Powell's. Oh, good. But that's a bookstore, so it'll just be reading and, uh, and then uh, signing, you know. Um, I've got, whatever, I'll read one of the other things in the book. There's tons of things in the book. Uh, I don't want to read a long thing. The Great Gatsby. <laughs> I'll read a little of... Uh, Jeez, come on, Bob. You wrote the damn thing. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr.'s worst speech ever. Um, I'll just read the speech, not the preface. Uh, um, hello. Hi. 
I was not told I would be speaking today, <laughs> but I guess I'm Martin Luther King. I'm invited to a church. Could have put two and two together to himself. You can do this, King. Come on, get it together. <laughs> to the crowd. We stand together today, all of us, black and white. Well, there's not so many white people here, squinting. Maybe some in the back. Not important. Moving on. <clears throat> all of us here today are a great conflagration. What? That's not the word. Congregation. Not the same thing. Wipes his brow. Whew. It is hot in here. Man, it's hot here in the great state of Kentucky. Whispers to his aide. What's that? Alabama? Mississippi? Okay. okay, Mississippi. So why did that guy say Alabama? <laughs> yes, you did. You guys heard him. <laughs> Whatever. That's what I get for asking the peanut gallery to himself. Let it go, Martin. Back on track. <laughs> we stand together. Some of you are sitting, I know, but in your hearts you are standing. You are standing. No, you, you don't actually have to stand up. Sit back down, please. Don't listen to me. I mean, well, listen to me, but don't do what I tell you to do. Just, uh, just sit back down. See, I can see into your hearts, your happy, hopeful hearts. Some of them hurting, all hoping to heal. What the heck's with the letter H all of a sudden? <laughs> to himself, back up, King. Get on track here. <laughs> your hearts can see. They do. They can see better things. The eyes in your hearts are hopeful. Hopeful eyes that fly with wings. Blind to hatred, blind to retribution, blind eyes that fly. Think about that. Boy, oh boy, that's something, isn't it? <laughs> That strains credulity. Let me begin anew. Let us all begin anew. Me with the talking, you with the listening. Can I get an amen? I can't? Okay. Par for the course. Wrap it up, Martin. <laughs> okay. What I'm thinking of is a metaphor. A glorious metaphor like a shining beacon. A profound, top-notch metaphor Imagine for me, if you will, a metaphor for suffering, for sorrow, for persecution, but also for redemption, for joy, for celebration. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? Is this mic on? <laughs> okay, that's all I got. I still have time? How about a Q&A? No? No questions? Criminy, it's a steam bath in here. <laughs> that, was, that was his worst speech. Ever. That, didn't, that one didn't go well. No. It's tough to find in the history books, so I'm glad that you're able to unearth that. Yeah, yeah. For... You're welcome. My treat to history. <laughs> did you like? I mean, did you have to write anything specifically, or was it just? Oh, I just had you this know, pile I just of stuff. Wrote, it literally was a pile of stuff. Yeah, and it got its way to Dave Eggers, the great writer and uh, publisher, and he said, "I want to put this out." It's fun how uh, there, that's a couple of things where it's basically you were just cleaning out boxes and you're like, yeah, I got you know, all these. It kind of was gotta... that. It really, truly was. Um, Mike Sachs is an editor in New York, and he said, just send me what you've got of just loose pieces, and we'll just start collecting them and put out a book one day. And so I was doing that, and then I got a call from Meggers, and he was like, Mike sent me this stuff. I thought we would wait maybe two or five more years, but... <laughs> um, but, you know, since Dave liked it so much and it made him laugh, I said, great. If you want to do it, uh, let's do it. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not a long – it's a short book. Like, it you is just short, sort of breeze through it. I will argue this. Okay. You mustn't read it all at once because it's too much silliness at once. You will start to – it's like eating nothing but ice cream for – a day that's ridiculous. it will get gross yeah so you it even though it's not the heaviest book you ever picked up 
it it will fill you up in quick uh, time, and then you can eat more later. Now you you be, you like you enjoy silliness and sketch comedy, but I have always found you to be kind of a serious person, and I know that most comics yeah. are ultimately very yeah they are very right? serious yeah right yeah but, totally absolutely I mean I mean yeah. I mean, aren't they mostly serious people? I mean, some, some, I think some people have more of a, a goof around energy all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's not me. You're right. Right. I mean, but, you know, there's a lot of people like me. You know that. Yeah. You know. How are your... Your kids must be like in high school yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're older now. They're... Uh, I don't want to talk about them too much. <laughs> but they're older and they're able to actually look and see the things I've done now. That's how old <laughs> they are. Give you a sense. Uh, because for many, many years, they did not know what I did. And I wouldn't let them see it. Of course. And I still don't really... I don't certainly don't force it on them. I don't show it to them. But they know these things and they've watched some of them yeah but most of their friends knew who i was and had seen my work years before they saw any of it oh really oh years before three four years before they'd seen me do anything their friends had seen stuff but we don't at our house we don't like let our kids watch things that have adult commentary in them oh really yeah i wonder if i I mean we're not like religious really (laughs) you know but i just wouldn't feel comfortable Especially with the dad saying those words. Right. Like, my son asked me for this book yesterday, and I was like, oh, right. Well, Nate, there's a lot of language in it. I hope you don't mind, you know? It's weird. I think totally, I'm, you know how comfortable I am swearing on stage and yeah. uh, in front of a camera. And yet, I think that's part of a performance, you know? You know? I, don't, I think in real life, you have to speak in the... You know, you have to think about your audience. And I think my audience has been a hipster, fringe, alternative comedy audience, and which I love and I'm totally fine with. I'm not trying to change that. And they can handle it. They can hack it. Yeah, but it's a weird it's weird with the kids. Yeah, the stage exists to to go crazy a little bit. Yeah. You know? That's what we go to see. And it's and honestly, that's what like breaking bad. You know, I mean, crazy shit happens. Good, because that's what I want to watch. I don't want to watch people living normal lives on TV. <laughs> it's I get to see that by not watching TV. Yeah. Do you uh, with so Better Call Saul premieres in February? Yeah, right? it does. Yeah. Are you nervous about that, or do you not? Think you know, that? it's weird. I never thought about it until about two weeks ago. Honestly, my life was just do this part, do it well. What do I have to do tomorrow? What do I have to do the next day? What does that scene mean? What, how can I do it well? That's all I thought about every day, all day, all weekend. And only about two weeks before it ended, I'm not shitting you. I went, oh, they're going to show this to people. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's like it didn't hit me. And it's like, wow, well, I hope it cuts together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a little intimidating now. But it wasn't for the run of the process. It was just a... That's not what entered into my head as what I needed to think about or worry about or even conceive of until it was nearly the end. And then it was like, oh, right. Yeah, no, it's going to be seen by people. Are you comfortable with the amount of attention that it's probably going to bring? Yeah, I'm all right with it. You know, fucking, we've done so much shit. 
right? <laughs> you and me. And this guy's getting on to it, too. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, it's like, I don't feel like, I really don't feel like I'll be defined entirely by it. I know I won't define myself entirely by it. Yeah. I've just done too much other stuff. And so it doesn't intimidate me the way a young actor would be intimidated by, oh my God, my whole life is going to be defined by my big role that I just got. Right. And, I, and just, and, it's not going to happen. It can't happen. Yeah. You've because been through too just, many of those. Yeah. Like I just wrote, I spent a year writing stuff that never got made. Like there's just too many like, yeah. Oh, it's uh, I guess this isn't working. Okay. This yeah. is working. Okay. Well, that's not going to yeah. work. You know, it's just not going to happen. Can't happen. You yeah. can't do it to me. I mean, the audience in certain segments, certainly that will be all they know me from, and that's fine. But I just can't think of myself that way. Yeah. If I tried, I can't. And you wouldn't either because you're, it's not like you're going to stop making sketches. Yeah. You're not going to, you might do this Mr. Show special. And even if you don't do the Mr. Show special, you'll still just shoot random shit and put it online or write more books or pop up somewhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that the thing that's great about it is it, it might be, maybe gives me a, a perspective to try to do uh, more challenging stuff. You know, I mean, it, it was a challenging job and I'm going to do a second season. So that's happening, you know, so I, I'm going to go do that. So I'm kind of focused on that. But yeah, I don't know. And the other thing is, you know, me, we lived in the same neighborhood, mm -hmm. like, I, you know, <laughs> I'm primarily a dad. Right. <laughs> That's mostly what I am in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the other we'll stuff see how it goes. I mean, I might be, I don't, I don't think it can change uh, how I think about myself. I don't think it can. Well, that's good because you have no control over all that other stuff. Yeah. You don't know, you don't know how it's going to be received. You don't know how it's, how, yeah. what, what, how people are going to, no matter what your intention is with something, that doesn't mean that's what people are going to take away from it. I mean, it. the hardest thing is going to be for people who simply want more Breaking Bad. Right. And that's not what it is. Yeah. It's just not. It's called Better Call Saul. It's a <laughs> different show. Yeah. The emphasis is different. The tone is going to be different. It's the same writers, so they, there are things... I mean, they're great writers, and they're serious as hell about this thing. As yeah. serious as they've ever been about anything they've done. But it's not the same show. So right. there's going to be a segment of the audience that are like, wait, I thought it would just be more of that. <laughs> where's Jesse? I mean, I have people all the time writing in, where, where's Jesse and how much Walt are we going to see? What are you talking <laughs> about? Zero? Zero? Because they don't meet him until... Yeah. Um, so there's that. The other side of it is, you know, there was a social phenomenon that you and I talked when we fart, started this, we farted ourselves. <laughs> we farted ourselves farted together. Upon ourselves. Yeah. When we started talking about this, uh, everything, we talked about the social phenomenon of Breaking Bad. And that can't be repeated by Breaking Bad or any other show. Right. Which is no one talked about streaming viewing when the show went on the air. Right. Four years later, everyone was like, I stream viewed it. Mm -hmm. It was a term that didn't exist in the popular lexicon when the show started. Four years later, everyone used it and everyone had done it and was doing it and was excited about it. Right. You know, I binge watch. Binge watch didn't exist as a possible. term 
in season one. Right. In season four, that's how everybody, millions of people watched it and talked about it. I mean, so that can't happen again. It happened. And so that novelty and that crazy snowball of awareness and experience, it's done. It's not going to happen with Better Call Saul or any other show. Because it already happened. What a fascinating moment of just like yeah. so many of the right. I mean, you know, when you when I when I look at Breaking Bad, and I go, what an amazing collection of the right writers, the right actors, the right set designers, the right music. But then also the bigger piece was just like the right time, exactly with what you're saying. Yeah. Cliffhangers. You know? mm-hmm. Watch yeah. the next one. Yep. Vince writes those amazing cliffhanger moments. Boom. Start the next one. Yeah. I mean, so built for Netflix, right? So built for streaming viewing. And people not being able to wait a week to see yeah. something. Yeah. That's my favorite part, though, of those shows, the cliffhangers and stuff like that. I, yeah. I like that conversation you can have with other people watching it of like, oh, speculating and theorizing. Yeah. And like, it's like, what do you think is going to happen? Letting it well, live with that, you as yeah, opposed to... Yeah. Binge watching and then it's disposable and then you're done and you're yeah, like, yeah, what's yeah, next? Yeah, 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 exactly. I love the culture that uh, happens around a show because of the con- It's like it's you know no one's getting into conversations about like you know artists or like the new symphony. Like now, like it's like it's TV shows and it's like you talk about what's going to happen next and that's like a large part of conversation, casual conversation these days. And that's how you like you yeah. know that's how you fill in the time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's too bad if if that goes away too much. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't. I don't like the the like the idea of Netflix like putting out all the episodes at once because right. you can't talk to anybody. It's kind of it. gone already. It's like you pop the balloon. Yeah, and you also and there's no control over when people are gonna. I mean, at least if a show's on the air, there's some structure to how people can be watching it. Yeah. But it, you know, it's like oh, I watched Orange Is the New Black in a day. Oh, yeah. it took me a month. You know, like you can't. You don't know where are you. Where are you in the series? Yeah. You know, like there's you can't. Really. Then you say something, they go oh. You right. Know, it's just like that's the conversation. There, it's done. As opposed to like, you know, people being at the same spot at the same time. Right. That, you that, don't yeah. experience it nearly the same way, right? No, not at all. Because when people talk about it, they're like, how was the. You, you just literally almost. It reduces the thing to. I saw it all in two days. Was it good? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about all the talk about the characters and what happened this week and what's going on? They were great. And yeah. Where it's going? Oh, that good. one was good. That one was not as good. And the next one was yeah. great. That's all gone now. Yeah, it's it's just, it's really good. You should really watch good. it. Yeah, it's a great show. It's like, that's what was so, that's why I got so into that, you know, Simpsons marathon that FXX did because it was like, it was in, you know, the entire country was watching the same episode at the same time. So that was kind of like you see, you go online and everyone's talking about the same episodes. And it's like, you know, you go out and everyone had just seen the same episodes right. as everyone else. And it kind of, that was that feeling again. Right. And you, don't get, you don't get that one. That's it's like, too bad. Well, go. it'll all figure itself out because this stuff will change. I mean, we're still in the middle of all this. We're still yeah. in the middle of how this works. You know, my show, Better Call Saul, which is Vince Gillian's show that I'm on. It's not mine. Okay. Uh, uh, this show will play on AMC in America and Canada, mm-hmm. and then within a day, it will play on Netflix around the world. That episode. Oh, wow. Hmm. It will not be released as a series on Netflix the next day, but in England or Australia, you can watch it on Netflix within a day of it playing here. That episode plays. That's cool. 
So it's, that's, there, that's actually pretty huge. That's pretty huge news. It's a, it's a, and I think I have it right. By the way, I'm not a bit, I'm not super great on reading contracts or technical <laughs> shit. So maybe you shouldn't completely trust me. But if I'm understanding correctly, that's what'll happen. And that's kind of interesting. It kind of retains what you're talking about, yeah. which is people will still only be watching one at a time, but it will get out there as opposed to you know, having to wait for the whole season to play, and then they put the whole season up. But not in America. In America, you'll have to watch it on AMC. Or How many episodes? Ten. Ten episodes. Ten. Cool. Um, just as we're wrapping it up here. All right. Oh, my God. We yeah, really we did. should wrap it up. I, 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 um, I got to go find out what's for dinner. I had... <laughs> Uh, beef. Which is what I'm. Yeah. I uh, I went to uh, I went to this dinner club place that is uh, where the old Argo used to be. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, I've been in there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's well, first of all, it's gorgeous. It's it's uh, gorgeous inside. But you the got fr- our old stage there. Though. The old stage is still there. And when I first walked in, the staff was probably so fucking bored with me going oh you got the stage Dude, right there I was there well, for a none party. of this was here and then the yeah. like I was just describing yeah. to everyone that I didn't know there the staff like oh and then there was a wall here and people they, yeah. they would wait out line every Monday night and yeah. then John Bryan would play, and then it was so, I felt like I felt like an elderly person like yeah. oh this used to be a park <laughs> yeah. I know man and the yeah. dogs would run over there and we'd play <laughs> well, in the sand I <laughs> I was there for a party a few weeks ago. I did the same thing. Every person I talked to, that's the stage, and you'd enter it from here or here. And <laughs> is that the same piano? It's the same piano, right? <laughs> I think so. And uh, you know why though? What a great when a great room is an amazing thing, right? Oh yes, it's a special thing, and it's a rare thing. It's and hard to engineer, and sometimes it's hard it to just magically it. happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that room was crazy great. Those Monday night shows were some of the most impactful shows to me as a performer. Uh, first of all, getting to do them because it was a big deal because it was all of the it was all people like you who were like the upperclassmen in my yeah, interesting world uh of, you know, you and Zach and Mitch Hedberg and and Paul F and all these, you know, Janine, Janine Patton, I mean Tompkins uh yeah. I mean, it was an amazing group. And uh, then being able to perform alongside those people and then to actually like have a good set in that room when that room was yeah. full. was Crazy. Fun. It was like, first of all, prob- I can't imagine was like the fire code. Like the, that, is the, oh, that yeah. room was so fucking packed yeah. with all the people against the wall and the bar and then the tables. Um, but what an incredible that room, moment. That room, Luna... Yeah, you, on Cabaret Luna. Yeah, Luna that Park. That was an insane room. That's when I first started watching. That's when I first discovered the quote unquote alternative comedy scene. I didn't know any. I'd watched every comedy special in the '80s and part of the '70s. And you know, it's just that energy thing of like when you have rooms like that, you can get the audience on the same page. Yeah, and they're all you're just like they're all right on every second, and they're everybody's thinking together. And rooms that aren't as good, which is most rooms, <laughs> you you finish a thought, you finish a riff, and the energy floats out. Right. And now you have to start it again. Right. And so that's the thing. Of course, I'm, again, I'm an amateur. <laughs> pros don't need the room to help them. But they took they took the old Largo signs. I guess Flanny left the old Largo signs, and so they're the ceilings in the bathrooms. If you go into the oh, bathroom, crazy. it's just the old Largo sign is the ceiling. I want to check it out. Tile. It's amazing. That's awesome. 
I'm going to go there just to pee. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob Odenkirk. Right, it was thanks good for to having see me, you. man. A load of hooey is of hooey. Uh, in bookstores. Better Call Saul. I'm very excited. February. February. Yes, we're, we have the Sharpie cow. And then, uh, and then, of course, uh, Amateur Hour. I'm sorry I don't have two. Oh, it's okay. I will see you, though. Probably. At that show. Oh, that's right. I do my album. Yes, yes. Will you sign off the podcast for us? We say enjoy a burrito at the end of the podcast. So you just say enjoy a burrito. That's good. Say it like my grandma. Yeah, say it like your grandma. Enjoy a burrito. <laughs> well done. No, that was good, grandma. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.